Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When we take control of our lives and our destiny, we're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Busy one. A little while I'll be talking to the Minister for Higher Education and former Minister for Health, Simon Harris. He's down at MTU today, so we'll speak to him a little bit later on. But uh, first, we'll go straight to business this Monday morning. And I talked to Professor Liam Fanning, Professor of Immunovirology at UCC, who said yesterday on National Radio, and I was listening to you, Liam, you said it's time now for booster jabs for everybody over 40. It seems like we're back again where we were in February and March, everybody arguing over who should get jabbed and and in what priority. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. So I suppose, look, this is the continuing journey of what we're learning about COVID as we're migrating over the couple of months and years with COVID-19. I mean, if we just step back, I suppose at the beginning of the vaccination program, what we were hoping for about this would be... um, either a two-shot vaccine that would give us very large protection against hospitalisation and serious illness and perhaps transmission, um, or the J&J one, which would give you one-shot protection against the very same um, hospitalisation and serious illness. And what we've learned over the last couple of months is, and uh, the the year that we've had with COVID-19, is that the protection against hospitalisation and serious illness holds but the protection against uh, acquiring a breakthrough infection doesn't hold yeah. <clears throat> in that some individuals who are vaccinated are becoming infected. And what we're learning um, about the booster shot, particularly from the um, Israelis who have really forged ahead of everybody else, yeah. um, that um, you know the fold protection is over tenfold protection once you get your booster shot in the over 60s. And that was a very large study, PJ. Just to give you some of the figures, it was over a million people over 60. And what they found was that there was uh, 11.3-fold reduction in SARS-CoV-2 infections. Ah, his line seems to have dropped there. Fiona, see, can we get him back up? Where I was going to go with the next question was, and I'm looking at the numbers from the hospitals this morning, 
and they are down a bit. The, the, the hospitals and the ICUs are stabilising a bit over the last few days, even though our daily caseloads are still very high. We also noticed that in the groups that have already had a booster in the last few weeks, there would appear to be a, a fallback in new infections there. So that would kind of lead, anecdotally at least, us to believe that the boosters are working. My next question for Liam would have been, uh, just let me know if he's back up there, guys. My next question for Liam would have been, how do we know that in another six months that that particular immunity won't begin to wane? And are we going to get into some kind of a, an endless cycle? He's back on the line. Liam, you with me there now? I am, yeah, I can that, hear you, PJ. Yeah. That's great. So, a so, couple of things on that one. We see from the figures in hospital and ICU over the last few days that even though the daily case numbers are quite high, that those hospital figures appear to be stabilising at best. And we also know that the breakthrough infection in those who've already had boosters, that that has plateaued and is indeed starting to fall, which is good. But how do we know that these boosters won't wane again is the next question. Well, I suppose that is a very valid question, PJ, and I suppose maybe I might count. Well, the answer is we don't know if they, uh, if they will wait again. But from an immunological perspective, we do know that, you know, constant challenge does set up a nice system for having a memory, uh, immune memory uh, to tackle these infections. But we don't know. And, you know, I would consider it a rather small inconvenience if we needed this like a flu shot once a year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in August, September time before we get into the wave and, you know, uh, I wouldn't see it as a negative that this will say booster shot would only maybe give us protection for six months. Look, we're in the middle of a crisis situation at the moment we're getting our hospital beds. The daily numbers really have lost their relevance. It's actually the number of ICU beds that are taken up with COVID care that matters. Yeah. And uh, if it gives us enough trajectory and protection to, to go into next uh, March or April, well, then I consider it a very you know well worthwhile public health measure for those individuals um, who have been vaccinated more than six months or perhaps followed the CDC guidelines as well, those that received the J&J single shot um, to get a booster shot. Now, what they have done is anyone who's got, who's over 18, who got a J&J um, at least two months after their uh, J&J shot um, is eligible for a booster shot uh, with an RNA vaccine. Yeah. I think that's a very pragmatic approach um, with respect to that particular vaccine because we have no vaccine in the portfolio of vaccines, that is a one-shot vaccine. Do you know what I mean? With all the childhood vaccinations and that, they go back for multiple doses of the same vaccine. Um, Which which is easily forgotten, I think, and and, and, and a point well worth making. In in terms of where we're going now with the science, and again, I I wanted to bring this up with you, Liam, because people keep saying to me, ah, but PJ, it was this last week, and it's the other thing next week, and it'll be something else next month. We can't rely on anything. But am I right in saying, Liam, that where we are right now, this thing can change in a week, in a day. Well, yes, it, I mean, <clears throat> the amount of science literature that has come out on COVID-19 has surpassed anything in virology and immunology in the last couple of years. <clears throat> the number of scientists working on it and, we'll say, clinicians, physicians, every kind of profession, behavioural scientists, the whole lot, PJ, is enormous. And that's why it's changing so rapidly. But it, it's changing in a very robust manner like that. Israeli study I uh, talked to you about earlier that's over a million people these are not small number studies do you know what I mean yeah. um, and that's so that the science is fairly uh, you know grounded in a good foundation of robust peer reviewed information and yes I, I can I can sense that you know it's changing so much I can hardly keep up with the, the, with, with the changes in either the scientific information or the guidance coming from government and effort um, and could you not just give me one message and let's be done with it 
Well, I'm afraid, unfortunately, for COVID-19, it has broken so many rules with regard to kind of what we anticipated. But we do know that the vaccines are holding up with regard to yeah. giving us protection from hospitalisation, PJ, and serious illness. I mean, yeah. that is one of the key things. But what we also know is that the protection that we, we get decreases over time. Fine. But we have a strategy. We don't have to lock down. We have a strategy of boosters. And, you know, uh, from an immunological and a virological perspective, the data on boosters is showing that they work. Uh, the, the, the alternative is that, you know, there's discussions around um, lockdown. That's not appropriate, really, in a very highly vaccinated population. You know, um, I mean, the, the issues regarding kind of, we'll say, social restrictions and stuff um, are really down to the kind of capacity of our hospitals. And this is a legacy going back one, two and three yeah. decades with regards to the hospitals. And we're not going to turn that ship around during a pandemic. No, can I, you know, can I, we, we, and, and we've, I, I do the hospital numbers again in a little while. Can I just ask you briefly uh, and lastly, uh, Professor Fanning, about the controversy surrounding Eamon Ryan at the weekend. He gets a PCR. Now, we don't mind the fact that he gets it turned over quickly. They have an arrangement in place and that's only right. He gets a PCR. He gets it turned over quickly. It comes up as positive, so he goes into isolation and he can't go off to COP26. And then the following day, he gets another PCR, which gives him a totally different result. Like That's, that's putting a lot of questions into people's minds, Liam. It is, PJ. And actually, I remember on our last conversation that we had, now I mentioned a thing called CT, and you said, no, no, hold on, that's a bit technological. What may have happened here, and I'm only speculating here, is that he had a PCR result that was at the threshold of positive. In other words, it was at the very limit of detection of the assay. And when they did it a second time, they found that it was non-detectable the following day. And uh, so I, I can't say whether that's a threshold positive or a false positive. I can't tell you. I don't okay. know enough of information, because when we discussed this before, I, 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 we, I, we indicated that, or I indicated that, you don't get a result of the value. You just get it's positive or non-detectable. Okay. And within that positivity, there's a whole spectrum of, you know, comfortably positive, positive, and then threshold positive. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which can then on... But you just get a positive. Turns out to be negative. Okay. Pardon me? You just get a positive. You just get a positive, that's right. And when you get a non-detectable, you, you know, it, it's just that the, the assay didn't give you a reading. But every assay, every clinical assay, has a threshold point beyond which, uh, sorry, at which sometimes it will be positive and sometimes it will be non-detectable. And that's down to the variation in the actual mechanics of the test. Okay. Um, so that, that's, that's probably a, a reasonable explanation for why he was positive on one day and non-detectable on the second day, PJ. That's all I can say at this stage. That, any that's fine. That. At, least, at least you can put some science on it, which, which is great, because it's not a lot of people have been able to do that over the weekend. Thank you very much, as always, for being with us on the Opinion Line. Professor Liam Fanning, Professor of Immunovirology at UCC. So some business sense there that it could have just been a technical element of the test. It doesn't answer the question, though. Well, if we all went back the second day, and got our positives checked, would they all be negatives? Like that, that raises a whole load of questions in, in people's minds. Uh, I will go, I, I will go directly because I know I've got quite a lot to ask uh, this, this man. And it's his first time, I believe, on the opinion line. Uh, it is indeed since he uh, came to cabinet. Um, but he's a minister for higher education and he's here in that bracket today at MTU, but he's a former Minister for Health and indeed he was the Minister for Health at the start of the pandemic, joined by Minister Simon Harris. Can I just start with the, the political story of the weekend if you like, with regard to your cabinet colleague Eamon Ryan and his two PCR tests back to back. A lot of people asking a lot of questions. What's the story? 
Yeah, well, I, I'm not really sure why, why people should be asking too many questions, being honest, because, I mean, from my under, my understanding of it, it's quite straightforward. Um, that Minister Ryan had a PCR test. He uh, voluntarily had one in advance of going to COP26. He was entirely uh, asymptomatic. And when the test came back on the basis of medical advice, it was recommended that he have a second test. And my understanding from the statement that the minister issued last night, or sorry, specifically that the HSE issued in response to queries, was that on occasion, um, if there's any ambiguity around a test result, a doctor may recommend a second one. So um, I, I suppose Minister Ryan was simply following the advice given to him. Because a lot of people would have been asking over the weekend, well, I missed out on two weeks' work over a PCR test. Should I have had my one checked? That's a human response, Minister. Of, cor- of course it is. And the very simple answer is you should only have had one if you were advised, like Minister Ryan was, uh, by a medical professional to do that. So, I mean, right throughout this pandemic, I guess, the approach has always been that all of us as citizens uh, should follow the public health advice and do as we're asked to do. And in this case, Minister Ryan was doing exactly what he was asked to do. Uh, in terms of taking a second test. And, and look, the good news is, thank, thankfully, uh, he doesn't have COVID-19. And thankfully now, the Minister for the Environment is able to lead a delegation uh, to COP26. And knowing how important uh, climate change is uh, to everyone in this country and the world, I think we're glad that the Irish Minister for the Environment is able to be present at COP26, and thankfully as well. Indeed. Let me move on to the, the, the job of work you're here to do, which is raise the flag on our new university, MTU. A couple of issues, and one of them's come up at MTU with regard to students, and it led to a demonstration last week, spiking, and this particularly sinister new way of spiking with an actual needle. How is that being dealt with or received in your office? Yeah, I'm really worried about this, uh, PJ. I met the Union of Students of Ireland uh, last week, the President and the Vice President, and on a range of issues, uh, including this matter. And I suppose they outlined to me two things, really. They outlined me, to me that, I suppose, so-called traditional spiking, the way perhaps people um, in the past would have understood spiking, um, is now seems very much to be back. Students are back out socialising, and they're very worried about that. And also the relatively new phenomenon now of being spiked by a needle. I spoke to my colleague, the Minister for Justice, um, on this matter on Friday and myself and Minister McEntee uh, are hoping to meet this week on the matter. What we're intending to do is, in the first instance, is support student unions in running an awareness campaign as to what to look out for and that was one of the big asks um, that USI uh, had of me. So we will be working with student unions to develop an awareness campaign as to how students and, and indeed everybody mm. uh, should be aware and keep safe. Now obviously there's a, there's a raft of legislation and laws in relation to this being a criminal matter. But from my perspective as the Minister for Further and Higher Education, it's just making students aware and empowering students to know uh, what to look out for. But it is a very concerning trend that I know will be worrying students and indeed parents as well. We've had a number of reports of incidents as I've yet to speak to someone who's actually been through it. I guess they're probably embarrassed and, and sick, I suppose, some of them. Um, but I will eventually, I know, because we, it is happening and it needs to be tackled. Minister, MTU is is a success story waiting to happen. The, the amalgamation of Cork and Kerry, everyone seems very happy with it. But the thing about it is, it'll be a huge student number. Where are they going to live? Yeah, look, and I want to answer that straight, straight, straight out. But just let me say, I mean, I think MTU is a really significant success story. And I'm looking forward when I visit the core campus now shortly uh, to talking about the plans we have for the upgrade of the 1970s building, a new learning resource centre. Yeah. I mean, this, this has to be matched with capital investment and, and that will happen. On the very important uh, and directly to your question on student accommodation, um, up until up until literally a few weeks ago, institutes of technology and technological universities were not allowed borrow or access borrowing 
to build student accommodation. Um, seems kind of ludicrous, to be honest. We've now changed that situation where for the very first time, TU's technological universities will be able to access uh, cheap state-backed uh, loans to build student accommodation. I'm, we'll be talking to MTU today, and indeed I spoke to MTU when I visited the Tralee campus a few weeks ago, and encouraging them to bring forward proposals. I want to see college-owned, affordable student accommodation. If I'm to be self-critical, we have been too reliant in the past on the private market providing student accommodation. We have to now make sure colleges can build their own affordable accommodation. In return, and I use that word affordable um, Mm. intentionally. That's a word that requires some definition depending on where you are. Well, that's very true, but I'll put it to you like this. In return for um, myself and the government providing access uh, to that finance, we're going to want a very clear understanding from universities as to exactly what they're building because there have been far too many examples, in my honest opinion, PJ, of universities building accommodation that, quite frankly, was inaccessible and unaffordable to many students. Now, there's good examples, too. I was in Thurlis recently, uh, in MIC in Thurlis, and they've managed to do it. So we'll be having a discussion. How are you going to make sure that this works for students? We've also asked the Union of Students in Ireland to work with us on designing the spec. What exactly does a student need in their accommodation? Because I hear from students often in some of these private accommodation um, setups things are being provided that a student hasn't asked for, hasn't wanted, and is actually adding to the rental cost, which is just, which is not mm. acceptable. Also, I've seen photographs of, of a, a place where two students were expected to share one desk, which is just that in one bench. That's just not That's acceptable. Ridiculous. That yeah. has, that has yeah. to stop. Another issue is parties, uh, Minister. We, we've had a lot of complaints about disturbance, and one particular residence association has had a torrid time uh, the last couple of years, both with students in college time, and indeed with other house parties in non-college time. Is it time for a campus police force or something along that style to, to just, you know, tone things down when they get out of hand? Well, I don't, I don't think it requires that is, is, is my truthful view, but I mean, I am aware, particularly in Cork, and I've read in, in Cork media before of particular incidences um, affecting, I think, particular parts of the city and the difficulty that's caused for residents. I mean, I would make the point when we talk about students, I mean, they're not just one homogenous group. I mean, most students, like most people, uh, go about their lives, do their best, uh, and and don't try to cause anybody any difficulty. And students have sacrificed an awful lot uh, during this pandemic as well. But I mean, I would have a very clear view that if there's any antisocial behaviour, regardless of who it's caused by, um, that that should be taken very seriously by by Ancardashia Cohen, and I'm sure it is. Mm. And I mean, certainly certainly I'll be visiting UCC later today. I'm visiting MTU shortly. Um, I mean, I'll certainly talk to college authorities in relation I mean, like police campus, on-campus police or on-campus police-style operations, you know, they're commonplace across the United States. You see some of them in the UK as well. Why why couldn't we just move a bit and and actually put a proper police or stroke security service on campuses to stop this nonsense? So many, 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 coll- many colleges do obviously use uh, do obviously use security firms and the likes to keep people safe on college campuses. I familiarise myself with the situation in Cork, um, in Cork now today. But I mean, I, w- I would make the point that I think it's broader than just I-, I think it's broader than just law or security. I mean, it has to be about mutual respect here. I mean, students have to obviously socialise, but they obviously have an obligation to do that in but, a way. But, that hang on, we've got we've got a twenty something thousand now in UCC yeah. minister, and we'll have. No, it was the same again in 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 MTU. That's like forty thousand students. Should we not just take the bull by the horns and put some proper security services in place on campus? I mean, not just for parties. Like women are being raped on campuses. 
Well, I, well, I, well, I mean, well, hang on a second. I mean, in relation to anything to do with sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape, antisocial behaviour, I mean, there is one force and one force only that apply the law in this country, and that's on Garda Shiakana. And I mean, I'd be, I'd much rather have the conversation. Yeah, but it might be a deterrent if we had on-campus security, you know. Yeah, I know, and, and, and there may be something in that, but I mean, I'd be very eager to have the conversation. And based on this conversation we're having this morning, I certainly will have the conversation with college authorities today as to what more can be done to support them. I mean, keeping people safe on campus is a huge priority of mine. Um, we have made all colleges for the very first time ever put in place an action plan on sexual harassment. What are you going to do in your campus to keep every single person uh, safe? Uh, and how are you going to report against it to the higher education authority every year? But look, generally this is, and this has happened in certain parts of the country, it's a partnership approach between the Gardaí, uh, between student unions and between college yeah, authorities. The problem and, is we don't, and, we don't even have enough Gardaí in the city, so that partnership is, is yeah, uh, hampered in the first place. Like, someone's yeah. asking here, would you like to live on College Road or Magazine Road? Well, I mean, to be, to be honest, I, I'm not... I'm not familiar but I mean would I like to live anywhere where I'm experiencing antisocial behaviour of course of course I wouldn't but I mean the point of the, the point here and let me not be in any way ambiguous on this I mean antisocial behaviour no matter who it's caused by is not acceptable but my answer is very clear in relation to who's responsible for that it's on Garda Siakana and if, if I'll certainly talk to college authorities today and if there is a need for me to talk to the Minister for Justice and if there's a need for us to do more to support the Gardaí we'll do that but I certainly wouldn't want I mean you've referenced and I, I don't think you in any way meant this but you've referenced 20,000 students in UCC and maybe the same again in MTU. I mean, let, let's be very clear. The overwhelming majority of students are law-abiding. I students. think that goes without saying, okay. Minister. Yeah, you know that and I know that. I don't need to even refer to it. Well, sometimes I feel, sometimes I, feel I have to because I sometimes, I, I, you know, I, yeah. I know the young people have had a very tough time. In I know country. you're probably not a regular listener to the programme, but we make that point a hundred times, a hundred times a month. I appreciate um, that because, yeah. Okay, come back to the cost of being in college because I'm also getting calls this morning from people who said that their daughter or son or nephew or niece has paid their fees to go to college and they're still doing most of it off campus. Uh, my, my, my daughter going, her level 8 MTU has yet to set foot in campus. It's all online. 3,000 euro. We've students experiencing financial difficulties due to the fees and the high cost of living. A food bank in UCC cleaned out in, in an hour. Is it fair to be charging people the full three and a half grand if they're only going to be sitting watching classes on Zoom? So I don't think that is what's happening, um, just to be clear. So, I mean, the public health advice uh, is as follows. All our college campuses are now back open. College, of course, and college campuses, and students will know this, is about an awful lot more than just the lectures. It's about the libraries. It's about the sports facilities. about the clubs. It's about the societies. Um, being able to go in and have the cup of coffee with your, with your, with your, with your classmates. Um, being able to join, join a society, uh, join a sports club, attend a class, attend a tutorial, a lab. There are, there are when it comes to lectures, because our lecture theatres come in different shapes and sizes. There is a discretion to each college as to how they can safely get people back into lecture halls. However, I would take a very, very dim view, based on what your, your listener has just texted in there, a very dim view of all lectures being online for any course. Um, and that, 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 I'll be raising that again now based on this feedback today, because that's not meant to be the experience. Some of our colleges have managed to bring their students back to 100% capacity in lectures. Mm. Others have had to adopt an approach of 50% at a time, and I understand that to keep people safe, but 0%. Mm. Um, Would you accept that if you're only getting 50% online, you should only be paying 50% of the core of the, of the fee? 
Well, look, I mean, the, fee, the, fees, the fees are as they are because the cost of actually providing college in the COVID times has actually risen. However, what I would accept is that we have a responsibility to get our students back to college and get them back to college campuses as close to full-time as possible. We have made a number of changes. You just mentioned the UCC Food Bank, and I'm really pleased that you did because um, I've specifically asked to meet the UCC Students' Union today in relation to that. Um, I've allocated 1.25 million euro to the Student Assistance Fund um, in Cork in recognition, sorry, in UCC, in recognition of the fact um, that students have been experiencing financial hardship as a result um, as, a, as a result of COVID. And I'm looking forward to having a chance to engage with the students um, specifically on that matter today. All right, we'll see where it goes. Uh, thank you for being with us on the Opinion Line this morning. Minister for Higher Education, uh, Simon Harris, visiting MTU today to officially raise their university flag. Tis an awful pity, do you know, that I never had a chance to talk to him when he was Minister for Health. These things happen. 1850-715-996. Caller says, I wish everyone in college be safe and gets a good education, but PJ, who's going to pay for all this housing? Can I make a radical suggestion? If a place is so dangerous you can be spiked, then you shouldn't go there. If the bars thought they'd lose their custom, you wouldn't be long seeing action. Vote with your pocket. Also, if you can't afford student housing now... You know you can get an apprenticeship or trainee position and qualify later. Cost of living is absolutely soaring. We can't afford much more. Something else a person said to me over the last couple of weeks, and I wonder how you feel about this. You've got a lot of people in student accommodation that are only coming in 10 miles, or their home is maybe 15 kilometres away on a bus route, on a regular bus route. Is there any need for people to be in student accommodation if they only live a bus, a bus trip away? In 2021, is there any need for that when things are so expensive? Just a few things to put out there. Thanks to the Minister for being with us on The Opinion Line. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM's Select Irish. JC Stewart. Hey, I'm JC Stewart. Hey, I'm Leah Hart. Can you please take me home? Being a select Irish artist for the month really helped my song Older reach multiple new listeners. Isaac Butler. Hey, I'm Isaac Butler. And I wish I could change the past. Sophie Doyle Ryder. Hi, I'm Sophie Doyle Ryder. They're all select Irish artists. Select Irish on Cork's 96FM. It's a great platform for me to showcase my music on Irish radio. And you could be next. If you think you've got what it takes to be our featured artist, check out 96FM.ie forward slash select Irish. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I got a couple of WhatsApp voice messages coming in. I'll get to them in a while. But I want to go to It's Back. And a lot of people love it. I, I tend to kind of watch it if it's on. And I'll always watch the final to see who can hang on to that, that hang tough thing for the longest and I often wondered if the hosts and the team managers in Ireland's fittest family ever tried that particular one themselves hang tough and how long did they last Anna Geary good morning Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? I'm Good. laughing here to myself. You asking that question because now I have to tell all of Cork that yes, in actual fact, a few years ago, all the coaches took each other on in hang tough. It was sprung on us by production. They played a sneaky prank and they told us as a production meeting. But in actual fact, we went down to Cork Docks 
And there we were, they were like, I was like, why are all the camera crew around? What's going on here? And I was like, oh, we're going to get you all to do it. Yeah, no big deal. And then, of course, all the panic set in with the coaches. But we did it. Um, and I'm delighted to say that um, I won it, thankfully. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, you know what it did actually was, it's amazing as coaches when you are having to take part in the challenges. It gives you a certain level of empathy for what the families are going through. Because yes, it's easy for us sometimes to stand by and rather than saying roaring and shouting, I'll say strongly encouraging <laughs> our families. But when you have to take part in the events, it's very different. Like last year, we also did, as coaches, we did the backs against the wall challenge. I mean, my legs weren't right for days after it. Yeah. So it just shows, I mean, those. it's easy to sit sometimes at, at home on the couch and say, I could do that. Um, and I think the Moonies, as well, Stephen Mooney last night said that for anyone that saw it. He's like, at home for years, we said we could do that. But when you're in it, it's a very yeah. different scenario. Oh, that hanging on one, like that's that, that the pain of that is indescribable. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is because your mind wants you to hang on, but if it's more your grip. If you don't catch the bar right the first time, so that's what I was telling people, that it really is important to practice just to get your body used to the sensation that almost like your shoulders are going to pop out of the sockets. And once you, it's like anything, like if you go to run for the first time, it's going to feel really different and really unfamiliar. But the more you practice it, the more at ease your body will be. And that, that's key. And I mean, spoiler alert for anybody that didn't see it yet last night, avert your ears. I mean, last night's Eliminator, uh, just uh, to me, I'm still recovering having watched it back on, on TV last night because it was just, I mean, the drama and the tension. Like yeah. In the seven years I've been involved, PG, I don't think we've ever seen anybody hanging upside down on a ramp. But there you go. You're <laughs> always surprised. Is that the attraction of it, Anna, that people just get behind a particular family and they think, could we really do that? Yeah, I think it's, there's two things to me that draw people to Ireland's fittest family. First of all, whether, I guess, whether you're like six, 16 or 60, you know, all members of the family, all different ages can, can sit down and watch it together. And like, there's so few shows on TV that offer that, like it's a chance of a family to watch it together and somebody isn't giving out going, oh, I do you want to watch this, that everyone can get something from it. But also, like you said, often families sitting at home go, oh, we could do that. And they might, you know, see a family that is like them in terms of the family dynamic, or it, they might resonate with an individual. They might see somebody that kind of reminds them of themselves, maybe. Mm. And all of a sudden then they're like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. I mean, these are just everyday people like you and me just doing extraordinary things as a family. And I think that's what's lovely about it is, you know, this is a fitness show. But let me tell you, like, it's, there's no such thing as, oh, we need to take that from the top. You know, everything that you see on camera is in real time. It's raw footage. And sometimes I'm hiding behind the couch myself because I don't know what they're going to show. Oh. So it is. I think that's what people like about, oh, I'm telling you. Because, I mean, you have to imagine, like, those days are, I mean, we could be filming for 12 to 14 hour days. And like that, I suppose that even as coaches, when the adrenaline goes and it's a competition and the referee shouts go, you forget that it's a TV show. Like, it's a competition that you want to get the best out of your family in. So sometimes, even as people saw last night, I mean, I went up the ramp last night with my family. I mean, I, I don't really know why, because as I was halfway up the ramp, I suddenly realised, you know, Mary's kids are up there to catch her. There's no one up there to catch me. So what am I doing running up the ramp? But you just get so invested in it. And then afterwards, when it comes out, uh, like, as coaches, we only see the show when everyone else sees it. So we don't know what they're going to show. So that in itself can be a little bit nerve-wracking. So I, I was going to ask you, how exciting is it going to get this season? Like, last night just typified the excitement. What this season for me, when you if you lined all the families up, 
you would you would make assumptions based on how people look because that's what happens you know they go oh they'll do really well they'll do really well the script is thrown out the window this year like I already lost the McCarthy's from Cork who on another day could have blitzed everybody and won all around them and like they lost with the smallest of margins last week and the O'Briens then from Cork like w- scrubbed through last night but it just shows the standard like this there's so many changes and there's so many things that can crop up last minute. We've some new challenges thrown in there as well. People have already seen High Nelly and there's a new one called Slingshot, mm. which is every bit as cool as it sounds, let me tell you. <laughs> um, and it just completely throws you know, everything up in the air. So even when you think you know it's going to happen, you don't. So this year in particular, there's so many surprises. And it's just even last night was just typical of that. that I mean, nobody could have predicted that, you know, the two parents at the very end... One hanging on and the other hanging on upside down. And it just been a case of who's going to get it. And nobody knew. And mm. that's, that's what people want. Like, that's what the audience loves is that they, they obviously love to see the families doing really well. But they also mm. love the bit of drama as well, let's face it. The whole Cork domination of this thing. I mean, there's yourself, <laughs> Dunneke, Dervil. Yes. I mean, poor old Davy must feel like a real <laughs> outlier. Although, if he ever took the camogie job... <laughs> But that's the which, thing which last that's week he said he wouldn't rule out. Yeah, and that's it. Like that's Davy's way of saying, oh, okay. And like the thing about Davy Fitz is, he loves to do things that are unpredictable. Like you know, and and you know, to him, the one thing I've ever since I've known Davy is sport is sport to Davy. It doesn't really matter male, female. Doesn't matter what even sport it is. Yeah. If he feels he could offer something, he'll never rule anything out. And he's a he's a thinker. So he's probably going away mulling it over. And as I said to him, sure, one of the three of us is always going up and down, you know, to Cork. So by all means, it's like, sure, we'll be down there as well. We'll, we, He's like an adopted member, I think, of Cork at this stage because he's hanging around with us. He's a character and a half, in fairness. He's a character and a half, <laughs> ah, no, as, as, as you yeah, are yourself. We look forward to watching much. watching the rest of the series, Anna. Uh, and I, of course, I get no, I don't want, because I wouldn't, I'd only be told where to go if I ask for spoilers but we will watch it and it'll be an exciting series of Ireland's fittest family there's Anna Geary one of the managers and of course there's Derville and uh, there's Davy, and there's Donoghue Callaghan and the show is on Sunday evenings on RTE it's seven series now seven series it's just huge winter viewing so it is thanks Anna 1850 again on Colleges. My son is in second year at MTU. Hasn't been in since January 2020. Few things coming in on COVID as well. I get to those in a while because I want to do the hospital numbers. Uh, if anyone can shed any light on this, I was walking around Clashtoke Park in Tokert yesterday evening. There was a massive gang of young people with a lot of guards around. Does anyone know what was happening? We don't know for sure what that refers to, what time it was, but just yesterday evening, Clashdove Park in Togra, a lot of young people and a lot of guards. Anyone shed any light on that? While you think about it, reminder to you, every year in Cork, thousands of you get together and you help us to fight homelessness with Cork Simon by wearing your Christmas jumper. This year we're doing it again, Cork's 96M Association with Cork Simon, asking you to host your Christmas jumper day wherever you feel safest to do so. Do it in the office if you're in the office. Do it at home. Do it online with your friends. Have a big Zoom with your friends and colleagues and family overseas. Take a picture and add it to the gallery, as it were. You can get a fundraising pack at corksimon.ie and please do join Corks96FM to help to fight homelessness. 
in Cork. On the subject of students and accommodation and parties and houses and trouble on Magazine Road and College Road, here's a, a WhatsApp voice note that came in. Shouldn't the landlords be actually in charge and throw out the students that have parties and whoever's renting the house, then they should be in charge of it and every student should be dumped out there and new students get in. They respect the place. It's an absolute disgrace. It's a fair point and thank you. WhatsApp voice note, welcome anytime. 83 96 Last week, I spoke to Dr. Lisa Murphy, who was very distressed because her eating disorder, and she explained in horrible, the horrible toll it takes on her life and how even at the time we were talking, which was quarter past nine in the morning, she knew that maybe by 11 o'clock she'd be in another unstoppable cycle of her eating disorder and how she was trying so hard to raise the money to get into a private bed to get the treatment she do, so desperately needs. She ran a GoFundMe. Her friend set it up for her. And in the space of three days, three days, she got the money she needs. It now sits at 63,657. Lisa, you must be absolutely delighted with that. Good morning again. Hi PJ, thanks so much for having me back on. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I really, I'm a bit shocked to be honest. I um, just none of us um, expected what happened to happen. Um, so it's just been a really incredible week. Um, obviously very overwhelming <laughs> as well. Um, but just phenomenal. I really have no words um, to describe it. I think what impressed people most here or encouraged people to pick up the GoFundMe and give a few quid was how awful the thing is and how it just literally takes over a day, your day, whenever it decides it's going to. And you've absolutely no control over it until you go to sleep at night. And that's that really, I think, got to got to people. Now, what's happening? You've now got the money. You have seen. Yeah. You have seen a place that you think can give you the treatment you so desperately need. What happens next? Yeah, so um, my friends have been in contact with them. Um, and so, like, I've been assured that I have a place there. So I'm, um, I have an appointment with them um, next week to go in and kind of for a comprehensive needs assessment is what it's called, um, just to kind of come up with a, a, an individualised plan because they don't have kind of a one-size-fits-all, you know. Yeah. Um, just a, a plan for, you know, what what I would need. Um, and then really at that point, it's about um, the next spot that's available. They, they've said that um, it'll be mine. So it's just about really um, once a spot opens up, which hopefully um, they're, they've said hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, it's just quite a small centre. So they've only six um, six kind of um, rooms, I suppose. Um, so but I'll get a sense next week of, of a timeline. And yeah. exactly, you know, when when things will um, will kick off, really, I suppose, which is a bit terrifying. But look, um, yeah. it's just going to be, going but, but to be I, as you explained so so cogently last week, like that at whatever time of the day this thing decides it's taking you over, you have no control. But if you're in yeah. that bed, in that room, in that place, someone will help yeah. you to take control. <laughs> That's it. So, um, you know, when I went for a visit last week, um, you know, I was saying my friends were good enough to arrange an appointment and um, for me just to go in and meet the staff. This was even before I had even decided, you know, that um, or allowed my friends to go ahead with the GoFundMe. 
Um, so, you know, we just went up and um, had to look at the place and met them. And they were going through kind of a typical day of, of what happens. And it, it really like as as scary as it sounded, it also sounded fantastic in that. So like every single day there are groups. Um, therapy sessions, individual sessions. There's art therapy. Um, in terms of meal times, um, um, you know, I, I'll ha- I'll be assigned to a, a dietitian um, that I would meet that I'll be meeting regularly while I'm in there. But in terms of meal times, then you know, it's a very informal um, and communal um, event every day. So all with the three meals, you know. Um, you prepare them yourself, but around everybody else in, in kind of a, a large kitchen and everyone, including the, the staff and the residents, um, sit down and have meals together. And it's just about kind of having that support there, you know, mm. with nurses and psychologists and stuff, having that support there for um, ensuring that, that you know, I'm I'm really not able to kind of take off on on kind of the sure. um, roller coaster that I usually would um, after eating. So... Um, you know, it's it's a very um, safe and kind of supportive environment. Which is, really. which is exactly um, what you need. And the hope, I guess, exactly. is, Lisa, you'll get in there this side of Christmas. Is that the hope now? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. It's it, to be honest, like, and they've even assured me, you know, uh, like as soon as soon as is possible. So, but yeah, I suppose the hope would be before Christmas. Um, but I don't know. It it, it really just depends sure. on on the like the residents in there at the moment and and where they're at and things like that. But sure. as soon as the place is available, then um, then then I'll be I'll okay. be going in. Well, the very very best yeah. of luck to you when it comes around. And what I'd love to do is talk to you at the far end. Absolutely, yeah, that would be amazing, PJ. And uh, can I just say, you know, uh, I've been inundated with with messages of support and love and just kindness and friendship. And I just want to say an enormous thank you to every. I uh, like. I'll try and get back. To, I will get back to everybody, but it will take a while. I'd say. Okay. But I just want to, um, just while I have the chance, just to say an enormous thank you to every single person that reached out. I had messages from people I haven't seen since childhood. You know, people I, I don't know at all, just this enormous outpouring of support. Um, and I just want to say a huge thank you and thank you to everyone as well who gave me um, a platform last week to kind of share um, my story and what was happening, um, including yourself. And it's just I, I'm really blown away. I don't okay. really know how to, to deal with this. But, um, well, you, what you do is you just you. go and you wait and you get your place and you do your course yeah. and whatever. And we will talk to you at the far end. I sincerely hope. Look after yourself, Lisa. Hold in there. Hold in there until uh, you get that place. And then may you have all the treatment and all the support and all the care that you need. Thank you very much, Dr. Lisa Murphy. And the very, very best of luck. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, something that occurred to me as I was driving in this morning was there are only 35 opinion lines to Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Fiona just looked at me as if I stole her dinner. 35 opinion lines to Christmas. Yeah, it's six weeks on Friday. 
it's Christmas Eve. But I did see it over the weekend. Lovely to see the holly bough in the shops once again. Caller um, on the phone to say it's great to see it. It is kind of the official start. And the front page of this year's holly bough is only gorgeous. It's really, really gorgeous. It's Northgate Bridge it done in a beautiful style. And... I think I can see Santa walking across the bridge. It's brilliant. And as always, well done to John Dolan and the team that spent months putting together uh, the Holly Bow. It's unique to Cork. It's it's unique in the world, I think, that John has been saying to me before. He doesn't think he can find another publication like it uh, that's, that's published as part of the local newspaper every Christmas for 100 and God knows how many years. Uh, so that's great to see it out. It's a fiver this year, and it's one of the best fivers you'll spend. That Diffney quiz you will spend hours at it. Great to see. 1850-715-996. A few responses to Simon Harris. I just told my daughter what Simon Harris said about students back on campus. She's now emailed him with the truth. How she has online classes and still has to pay three grand, all without setting foot on campus since 2020 and she's not alone in this my son's in second year MTU hasn't been in since January 2020 and on the college police or campus police or at least enhanced campus security that conversation I had with Simon Harris uh, the topic that I, when I suggested to him people are getting raped and all that all he had to say was there's only one group that should deal with that and that's the guards now this is this Caller's view. How many domestics did they ignore or handle badly in the past? A security team would suit because many people have lost faith in the guards. If matters need to be taken to the guards, fair enough. Blood is boiling after hearing that. Well, the other, and it's not a criticism of the guards, we don't have enough of them. We just don't have enough guards to police two huge campuses in Cork. We've got an enormous UCC and we've got a growing MTU. So there's not enough guards in Munster to police that, which is kind of why I was pushing or trying to push Simon Harris into understanding that maybe it's time to look at campus police, which is a functioning model of the world over. We shouldn't forget that either. 1850 715996. It was back in March. I was looking at my archives over the weekend. It was back in March when the great Dr. John Campbell made one of his first appearances on the opinion line and it was to talk about news from Pfizer that there was a drug in testing and there was a possible possibility of a tablet that you could take that once you had a positive test for COVID-19 you would take this and it was almost certain you would not get sick you would not end up in hospital and you certainly wouldn't end up in ICU and Pfizer were working on that back then and I remember at the time John made a prediction on the show that we would probably hear something more about this before the end of the year well how right he was because just last week we learned that it's going so well for Pfizer they've now stopped testing and they're going to start putting it into production what's more did we learn that part of that production process is going to be happening right here in Cork and this pill has a massive uh, success rate in pre- preventing the development of serious illness. 89%, in fact, uh, the reduction in the chances of hospitalization or death for adults who are at risk of developing severe disease. 
It, is, it really is a major development. Professor Paul Moyna is Professor of Immunology at Maynooth and has been with me on the opinion line before. Good morning to you, Professor. Morning, PJ. I saw someone saying over the weekend, Paul, that this is, is it something like the antiviral technology that they use so that people with HIV can live a perfectly normal life? Or did they pick it up wrong? Yeah. No, no, you're right, uh, so, so if you're looking in terms of how HIV, we don't have a vaccine against HIV, uh, but people can live with HIV because of antiviral, anti, what we call antiretroviral uh, drugs. So these are drugs that directly target the virus. Um, and actually, one of the, in terms of the drug that you've just spoken about, but a potential drug from Pfizer, Paxlovid, um, that's actually co-administered with a drug that's also used to treat HIV, a drug called Ritonavir. Uh, now, ritonavir itself doesn't do anything to the SARS coronavirus 2, but it's co-administered with this drug, Paxlovid, because it, it tends to reduce the breakdown of the Paxlovid in the body. So it allows the Paxlovid to build up in the body and act for longer uh, time periods. So you're right in the sense that this drug is like some of the drugs that treat HIV in the sense that it directly targets the virus. So it's a little bit different from the vaccine. The vaccine triggers our immune system, mm. whereas this drug directly targets the, the, the virus. Mm. And it, it, it is it that once you are diagnosed or once you hit, receive a positive test, you, you begin to take this drug and it's so that you don't build up enough of a viral load to make you sick? Or am I oversimplifying yeah, it? No, that's exactly right, PJ. So basically, in order for the virus to replicate, two things has to happen. First of all, the virus consists of two components. It consists of the RNA. We've heard a lot about the RNA because uh, the RNA is how we detect the virus. Um, but also, it has got... 29 different proteins and in order to replicate in the body the virus has to make those proteins and initially the proteins are made as very large proteins and they have to be processed or chopped in to smaller ones and that that is catalyzed by by um, a protein called the protease and this drug actually blocks that protease so it blocks the mm. virus from replicating hence so the name protease inhibitor correct Protease inhibitor, absolutely. And we really have to get that within three to five days of symptoms. And the trials were actually conducted in people who had confirmed positive case and were symptomatic. And it was given within three or five days. And within that time frame, it's important to get it within that time frame because otherwise the viral load can build up to be very, very high. And then you get into the second phase of the disease. And the second phase of the disease is that inflammatory component that gets down into the lower respiratory system, mm. the lungs. And that's what ends up leading to hospitalization. So if we can stop the virus very early on as part of its uh, life cycle in the body, Mm. We can stop that progression. And that's what actually did the results have shown. They've shown that, and this is a trial involving almost 1,900 people, it shows about an 89% protection from hospitalization and deaths. And actually in the trial itself, there were 10 deaths. They were all in the control or placebo group and none in the drug-treated group. So certainly... Oh. If that data, PJ, ends up translating into the real world, I think this would be of enormous benefit and would be yeah. highly impact, impactful in terms of working with the vaccine, not as, a, as, a, as an alternative to the vaccine. I think the vaccines are still really important. That yeah. old adage of prevention is better than cure. Sure. But for those cases, and we're seeing, for example, breakthrough infection cases, you know, this, this drug could be really very, very useful. And, and I, I know we're probably many months away from it. I don't know. Maybe we're not. Is it the case that your GP, for example, would simply write you a prescription to pop down to the chemist and get a box of this stuff and take it for a few days? Or is that oversimplifying it again? No, not really. So this, this is an oral drug. So you can take it uh, orally. And the idea would be that you're going to get this before. It's, it's going to stop you from 
reaching that hospitalization stage. So you would be getting that from your from your GP. So the idea would be that you'd need to be confirmed positive with COVID and symptomatic and symptomatic and and given this within three or five days of symptom onset. So so that would be the idea. So okay. uh, that's obviously, and especially in terms of low-income countries, uh, you know, this would be really very, very useful. Yeah. There's another drug as well, isn't there, that's been uh, licensed or given the okay across the water in Britain. That's a similar one, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So that's a drug called uh, molupiravir. So molupiravir is made by a company called Merck. That was approved last year by the regulatory agency in the UK for use. Uh a little bit like the Paxlovid, but works by a slightly different uh, mechanism. So again, this directly targets the virus and blocks the virus from replicating. Now, whereas Paxlovid, the drug that we've just spoken about from Pfizer, that is actually a protease inhibitor. This molnupiravir stops the RNA from replicating itself because that's uh-huh. the other thing the virus needs to do. Um, it, it again is quite effective, probably not quite as effective as the Paxlovid in the sense that it seems to reduce the risk of hospitalization or death by 50%. But still, that's a very uh, significant number, especially for those patients where maybe the vaccine hasn't worked. Um, so certainly that's also very, very useful. And potentially mm. down the road, PG, you mentioned, for example, some of the HIV drugs. HIV drugs tend to be given as cocktail of drugs, a number yes. of drugs targeting different mechanisms, and that tends to reduce the possibility yeah. of drug resistance developing. Yeah. I've, spoken, I've spoken to a number of people over the years about their HIV treatment, and one man in particular said to me, he just, no, this, it just takes four tablets at a half-eight in the morning, and he never really yeah. has to worry. Which which is in, yeah, so, in, incredible, you know. So what you're doing there is you're managing you're managing the virus there. So unfortunately, we haven't had the va- vaccine for HIV, but again, it's managed now, and it's managed by yeah. these antiviral drugs uh, that directly target the virus and yeah. prevents the virus from replicating. Is there any danger that a virus would then, like, they can evolve to resist vaccines? Can they inv- evolve to resist these things? They can, yeah. That's a distinct possibility, uh, and and for that reason, so when you could imagine a drug and maybe the virus mutating so that its protease is a little bit different that maybe the drug no longer works. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, you know, there would be advantage in terms of maybe a cocktail of drugs that target different uh, parts of the virus. So for example, Paxlovid that targets the protease, this molupiravir that targets the replication of the RNA. Now it would be very, very unlikely for a virus to be able to mutate so that it's resistant to both of them at the same time. I gotcha. So even if, even if one of them works the virus doesn't get a chance to replicate. So there'd be less likelihood of resistant forms developing. And for that reason, that's why the the drugs tend to work very well with HIV as well, that combination therapy or cocktail of drugs. I suppose I should point out, even though it might be painfully obvious, that the treatment for HIV is lifelong. This would only be for maybe, what, a fortnight? Yeah, so what what you're doing here is you're, you're... so as part of the life cycle, when you get the initial uh, SARS coronavirus 2, for the first few days, it tends to stay in the upper respiratory system. So you have your typical symptoms and mild symptoms like cough and maybe slight sort of sniffles. And But then it develops into the later phase where it goes down into the lower respiratory system and the lungs and it develops sort of inflammation. But what you're doing here is you're stopping the virus from replicating and getting into that advanced stage where it causes the disease. And what it also does is it, it, gives, it gives the immune system a helping hand. So it stops the virus from replicating and stops it from getting really a foothold in the body. And at the same time, your immune system is also working. Yes. The immune system is gaining and generating immunity and immunological memory against the virus. So from, from that point of view, 
yes, it would be a short treatment, probably for maybe five to seven days. Yeah. They followed this out actually as far as 28 days post-treatment. Yeah. Um, so, but, but again, the treatment wouldn't be that long. It would likely be maybe five to seven days. Two, two more questions for you, Paul, if you, if you, if you wouldn't mind. No problem. One of those drugs that you mentioned, the one licensed in the UK, that targets the, the RNA element of the virus. I suppose it will have been tested that that can't affect our RNA. Yeah, so, so, so this is an interesting one. So the molupiravir, the building blocks, so the RNA is made up of four building blocks and the molupiravir looks like one of those building blocks and it actually tricks the virus so that when it's replicating the RNA, it puts one of the, the molupiravir in instead of one of the normal building blocks and it sort of makes just basic junk RNA. Now, there has been some commentary in terms of we also use those same building blocks to make our own RNA. So would there be a possibility that there would be some maybe what we would call mutagenic potential in these drugs? Yeah, like have they tested okay. for the effect on human, human RNA? Well, so, so, yeah, so far it, doesn't, it hasn't shown any mutagenic uh, potential at all, the, the molupiravir. And again, the last couple of days there's been some commentary in terms of maybe the Paxlovid and the protease inhibitors uh, would be better because you would envisage that they wouldn't have any even mutagenic uh, potential. So that's something obviously to be looking at, to be looking at in yeah. terms of long-term treatments and especially in terms of post-licensing as we go out to, you know, use of this in yeah. millions of people. Sometimes with the trials, you know, we're looking at thousands of people. If there are rare side effects associated with the drug, sometimes they only become apparent post-licensing and that's why there's really very strong post-licensing surveillance yeah. to try yeah. to pick up any rare side effects. Yeah, and there's a lot of protease inhibitor stuff around for the last few years, so that kind of seems yeah. to be much, even a, a much safer way to go. Yeah. I don't know if you can address this one finally, Professor, but I did read in uh, two of the Sunday newspapers about an, an actual Irish trial now of a drug they've been shouting about from the rooftops in some sectors, ivermectin. We're sceptical yeah. about ivermectin, but now they're testing it. What's your own feeling? Yeah, looking at the data, PJ, I, ha I haven't seen any strong data to suggest that this actually works. So this is a drug it's actually used to treat. It's an antiparasitic drug. You know, it has been trialed in various uh, centres. So uh, I haven't seen, in terms of the literature, in terms of any yeah. data that is out there, I haven't seen any data to suggest that it actually is effective. In terms of randomised controlled trials, I haven't seen anything out yeah. there suggesting that it is effective. Yeah, that seems to be the case. All right, listen, thank you for being with us. Professor Paul Moyne, he's Professor of Immunology at Banuth University. Lads, isn't science the business like? I mean, this is an incredible development from Pfizer. This protease inhibitor, if you know anybody who has HIV or lives with HIV, they know exactly what a protease inhibitor is. They, they take it every morning of their lives. You won't have to with this because it'll be five to ten days and maybe a follow-up, but we're getting there. We are getting there. It's, it's, it's a good day. It's a good day for the science of COVID-19 and I think um, John Campbell's been doing some new vids on it I must watch them, I missed him over the weekend I must watch his new vids on it maybe get a chat with him again at some point because he was the one who did predict uh, back in March on the opinion line that we'd be hearing big news in November and here we are on the 8th of November 1857 Quick reminder, exciting times I mentioned 35 opinion lines to Christmas six weeks Friday is Christmas Eve and Cork's 96FM's 10k toy giveaway is back. Get ready for fun and get ready to play because we're giving away loads and loads and loads 
a 500 euro toy shopping sprees. Listen to KC and Ross in the morning and all day long from next Monday, November 15th, for your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. It's Cork's 96 Rams 10k toy giveaway with Douglas Village Shopping Centre 50 years at the heart of the village. Listen and win from next Monday, only on Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. So we've been contacted in the last week or so by a number of residents from a place called Ancashlawn in Ballincollig about a traffic situation that is bothering them, to say the least, uh, and highly dangerous when you think about the, the possible impact of it. Phil, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Tell me about and it. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. Well, P- PJ, um, uh, I'm, I, I'm cocooning here, let's say, with my um, kids, you know, for, for COVID. Mm. And I have a little grandchild um, uh, living in the house. And, um, you know, uh, it has just become very apparent um, in the estate, let's say, that um, there's a, a big problem with the junction just outside the estate. And cars, it starts, let's say, at about 8.30 in the morning, um, well, no, actually, 7.30 in the morning until 9, cars flying through the estate, um, speeding, um, avoiding the junction outside um, the estate and speeding through the estate from one from one entrance to the other. Yeah. And um, PJ, um, you know, like the any situation can happen you know with kids and the little four-year-old anyway was playing below in a neighbor's house uh, with two older kids they're eight and um anyway one of the kids um wanted to go over home uh for a toy and um you know how these things happen oh my god um we were unaware of it and the three of them crossed the road but the two older kids, they were very upset now after this um, incident. The two older kids saw this car speeding, but the little four-year-old, my grandson, um, would have been told. So they they ran across the road and um, the, the car basically... Um, was very close to impact yeah. on the little the little boy, okay. and it was very upsetting to hear about this because they were crying. They were very upset. The older kids seemingly he had to um, swerve to the side dangerously, and it was just um, a miracle that there wasn't a car coming in the other direction, because they said, and they're very cute now at eight. They said that um, he would have been killed because okay. you see the big problem. PJ is that, and I've seen it with older kids here as well, you know, 10, 12, on bikes, you know, they come out of the little side road in the estate and they take the corner wide, you know, in bikes and there could be even a few of them together. But I have seen and heard screeching brakes, uh, blowing of the horns, you know, um, it's very dangerous for the simple reason, yeah, is that these kids don't have a chance, you know, with... Mm cars that are you know speeding um and i suppose it's a longer route through the estate you know um if they if they when they come in and they're making up time and that's yeah. oh, a terrible problem yeah. but <clears throat> you know 
what I was going to say, PJ, is that these houses were built 15, 20 years ago. I can't understand how the council didn't sort this junction. It's, yeah. you know, it's a very busy thoroughfare between um, Barry's, Barry Road and the Barry's Road and yeah. the Castle Road. Well, well, I've been talking no to the, the Residents Association, Phil, and I'm talking to Susan, who's yeah. the chair of the Residents Association, about that. And indeed, uh, Councillor Olden Ring, I know, is across it too, and I hope to speak to him at some stage later. But uh, thanks for that. You've had a particular fright with your grandchildren, and I think there's been quite a response as well to an alert raised by Susan, who's the chair of the Residents Association. I've been speaking to Sue about this and she goes into a bit more detail of why there's such a problem and we'll get to that next. Phil, thank you. 1657 a full schedule of matinee and evening performances announced. Access all areas. Riverdance returns to Cork Live at the Marquee, taking place from the 2nd to 5th of June in 2022. It's the new 25th anniversary show with tickets on sale now from usual outlets. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition, or a live stream coming up by emailing us here on AAA at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. So, Sue, for listeners who obviously wouldn't be familiar with the local geography of where you are, what is the problem? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Problem, where is it? So PJ, on Cashlawn is an estate in Balancholic, um, within the Cork City Council remit now. There's 196 houses, 53 apartments and a creche called High Care Child Care that has up to 120 children attending on a daily basis. 
um, recently while I was out walking with my dogs on a on a at dusk on an October evening with my daughter and her friends, um, there was an incident where the the four girls were ahead of me on the road, right? Yeah. Uh, it was a Sunday evening and a car approached at speed um, from behind me. I turned around when I heard the car coming. Uh, it was coming within the estate and uh, like the girls were very, very lucky. There was a near-miss situation. They were on rollerblades and they just flew around the corner and the car was right behind them, basically. You know, it was like I was just standing there watching this in fear, you know. Yeah. So we have uh, we have a Facebook group within the estate. So on that evening, I put up a post um, from myself just saying what had happened and to advise motorists to, to slow down, mm-hmm. you know, especially with the dark evenings and with children at play and... Um, you know, from that then there was a, a big response from other residents. Yeah. It it just highlighted all the problems that we're having in the estate. And it was a platform, I suppose, for other residents to voice all their issues and near miss in- incidents that they came across. Yeah. Um so I suppose Ancashlon it is um it's used as a through road. There's two entrances into it, okay. So um, a lot of a lot of non-residential traffic use it as a through road. Right. PJ. Right. Um, there's a very very dangerous junction. Anybody living in Ballincollig would know it. Um, it's on Castle Road and Flynn's Road there, from Flynn's Road onto Castle Road. It's a blind junction. You can't see coming up the road. I see. And um, so a lot of people use our street as a through road. Um, so between between all the residents. Um, the um, people coming in for the to use the crash, and then people using it as a through road. There's a lot of traffic, and what makes Uncashlawn different to other estates, I suppose, PJ, is um, the houses in our estate have no boundary walls or gates on them. There, it's an open plan estate. Gotcha. So, so there's some houses that are on this road. Basically, they can't. You know, their their people are afraid to leave their children out. You know, the, the, the house is actually fronting onto the roads that you yeah, can't well, go Yeah, there's a driveway. To. There's a driveway, but but it's open. You know, there isn't a gate. You know, people don't have a gate at the front of their property, so it's hard to. Um, you know, it it could be a, a potentially very dangerous situation. It's not safe for children to play. No, it's not, especially with all the traffic coming in and out. So um, from this, anyway, I decided that um, what we do is that we I made contact with all our seven local councillors and the local area engineer with Cork City Council. Um, Councillor Olin Ring um, contacted me and made me aware that the estate was in fact a 50 kilometre zone, which horrified me because I, I assumed it was a 30, yeah. like a lot of other people. But all estates are actually 50 kilometre zones unless they've been changed by the um, road authority mm-hmm. through a bylaw, um, a bylaw process. F- Fifty kilometres is thirty miles an hour, so they're a standard road, like. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you might be aware of Jake's law. I it am. would have come in um, back. Uh, poor, poor Jake. Um, he he, Jake Brennan. Yeah. He died when in twenty fourteen when he was hit by a car outside his home. I spoke to his mom a couple of times. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, so like um, his mother has made huge lengths um, to get to get Jake's law implemented to reduce um, 
the speed limit to 30 kilometres per, yeah. per hour within housing estates and that. But it's up to each road authority is responsible for implementing the bylaws in their area for this. So you're reaching out, I think, to the council now to do something about this before something terrible happens. Exactly, yeah. So I spoke to um, the local area engineer and he advised me that Cork City Council Traffic Division deal with the traffic calming requests and not the local area office. He advised me that on cash loan had been added to the list of areas to be considered and that subject to funding, it will be considered for selection at the next review. Um, he also advised that on cash loan is now being added to the list of areas to be considered for speed limit change to a 30 kilometre zone. And these changes are implemented every two years and are subject to funding. Um, he made me aware that submissions to the public consultation for the current proposed 30 kilometre bylaws are currently open. So the Residents Association decided that this would be our first step to make submission to get on cash loan included in the 2021 bylaws. It sounds all very official, doesn't it? An awful lot of red tape just to... Exactly, yeah. yeah. But I mean, these are things that you have to do, you know, to, um, and I can understand regulations and and that, you know, but, um, you know, so we, we have to take these measures firstly. So what we did was we got a lot of support from from. Um, the local community garda, Anthony McSweeney, and he's been in the estate twice now um, doing um, doing checkpoints in the estate, um, stopping every car that would come in at a busy time in the day, asking them where they are resident. Yeah. And, um, you know, advising them that they shouldn't be using the estate as a through road and to use an alter- take an alternative route. But a lot of people would have, would have, would have um, if they were using it as a through road, would have said they were trying to avoid the busy junction. Yeah, on the road, you know, yeah. rat running they call it, and unfortunately, while it's a nuisance, it's it's not illegal. I know absolutely, and look, you know, people are entitled to use it as a through road, but that doesn't mean that you know that it's that it's right either, yeah. you know, yeah. and that the residents need to um, need to need to be subjected to this because because of the dangerous junction that nothing's been done about, you know. I do, I do. I do. You can only hope, I guess, that nothing will happen of a serious nature in 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 the inter- do you, do you get the impression that um they will change the speed in the fullness of time? Well, um well, we're putting our submission together. We 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 drew up a petition. We went around to the houses in the in the estate and we also have an online petition to what we want. Um, what we want in our petition is on cash loan to be included in Cork Road Traffic Bylaws 2021 to have a 30 kilometre speed limit implemented. We want um, Cork City Council to implement traffic calming measures in and around the on cash loan estate to limit non-residential traffic using the estate as a through road. And we want Cork City Council to address the dangerous junction between Flins Road and Castle Road in Balancholic. Okay, for people who wouldn't know the area, you have laid it out very clearly. Thank you for doing that, Sue. No problem at all. Um, Thank you for having me on. That's Sue Power Heinen, who is the chair of the Residents Association in Cashland. Spoke to Sue over the weekend. I've also been talking to Councillor Olin Ring, mentioned in that conversation, and we'll see where. We'll see what he's got to say in the next hour. 1850-715-996. For any residents, listen to us in on Cash Lawn. Uh, if you have had your own experiences, do let us know by text or WhatsApp or WhatsApp voice message. I promised I'd do the numbers for you as regards COVID 
in Cork hospitals. And mercifully, over the weekend, even though we're still on 3,000 and something cases a day and worryingly close to 4,000 at times, the numbers in the hospitals appear to be stabilising a little. And as I was talking earlier on with Professor Liam Fanning, it's no coincidence that some of the areas that are stabilising age groups and cohorts are those who are getting their booster vaccine. So again, not only do the actual vaccines themselves work in preventing severe illness and death for the most of us, those who are more more vulnerable when their booster vaccine is given to them, it would again uh, buffers up their resistance, as it were. As of last evening, this again, the, C, the um, HSE's own figures, which it publishes every evening. As of last evening, there were 34 people in hospital in CUH uh, being treated for COVID-related illness. Six of them were in ICU. Just casting our minds back to 2020, there were 13 people in CUH this day last year with three of them in ICU. I actually think we might have been locked down this time last year, or pretty close to it. 34 of them in CUH uh, this morning, 6 in ICU. At the mercy, there were 10 people in hospital with COVID-related illness, and two of them are in ICU. This time last year in the mercy, there was only one person in hospital with COVID, and he or she, whoever they were, were in ICU. Nationally, there's 190 general beds available in the public system this morning, 27 in ICU, including three of those being paediatric ICUs. So pressure, but it's easing a little, would appear to be the picture. Although the numbers of fully staffed ICU beds, and I've been drawing your attention to this for a few weeks, because for all their talk about bumping up ICU provision, this morning, nationally, there are 287 fully staffed ICU beds the whole country. Note we say fully staffed. And fully staffed is quite a number of people to staff one bed. And that does have to be acknowledged. 287 is the number of beds available fully staffed this morning. Go back to this day, 2020. Only 280. So only seven beds more fully staffed than this day last year, which tells its own story, I guess. I'm not a member of any elite little club that gets these numbers. Anybody can get them. The HSE publishes a report every evening on its own website, which you can find. What I might actually do maybe later on social media is I might share the address of that website so you can check the numbers for yourself any day that you want to. 1850-715-996. I'm a resident in Uncash Lawn. It's so dangerous there are cars speeding through. Why can't we just get ramps for our safety? Well, we'll bring that and other things up uh, over the next while when I talk in particular to Councillor Olin Ring. But it is the time when people are sitting down to buy the Christmas prezies. And this time last year, we were close to or in another lockdown. And a lot of retail was shut anyway. So we were buying online to, to save our lives. And it went okay for the most part. I bought a load of stuff online last year. But things have changed. And online and supply chain and other things, uh, it's not as good as it was this time last year. There are any number of problems and pitfalls. So I thought we'd talk for a while with Connor Pope, who's the consumer 
journalist with the Irish Times about the pitfalls of ordering online. Of course, everybody would like to support their local business and buy local and shop local and all of those things. But sometimes you just can't. You have to go online and there's a safe way and a not safe way to do it. Connor, good morning. Hi, how are you? How are you getting on? Good. As I said, I bought quite a lot this time last year, but things have changed in the interim. Brexit hasn't helped and supply chains haven't been helped around the world. So what do we look out for? Well, I suppose the first thing I'd say is that shopping local and buying online aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. I mean, one of the things that the pandemic uh, was behind was this huge move by an awful lot of small and independent Irish retailers into the online space. Because as you say, they had no choice. All their shops were closed. So if you are going to shop in the online space, the first and most important thing I'd say to people is shop locally. So shop on websites that are based in Ireland. And if you do that, you have none of the problems that you can expect if you shop on UK-based websites. And I'll come to those in a second. Mm. And you have none of the problems that you'd have if you shopped on, on sites based in China or the United States because all of the stuff is sourced in Ireland. It's in Ireland. You don't have to pay, a lot of the time, you don't have to pay delivery charges and you certainly don't have to pay any taxes or, 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 or any, any uh, excise duty or anything like that. And also you're supporting Irish retailers because the reality is if you shop on, one, on a big multinational online platform like Amazon, the money is effectively hoovered out of this country and we never really see it again. Mm. Whereas if you shop in on a, in a local shop, be they online or a bricks and mortar shop, you know, that money is recirculated again and again in the economy. So the shop employs a solicitor who buys his bread in the local uh, uh, bakery who buy, you know, all that money just gets recirculated over and over again in the economy. So that's the first thing. Now, when it comes to shopping, online, it's really important that you know where the site you're buying is based. Now, an awful lot of websites have this dot, have the .ie address. Mm-hmm. So you are you or your listeners might assume, oh, well, it's got a .ie address. It must be based in the Republic of Ireland. Not true. Any company anywhere in the world can set up a website selling .ie, with the .ie domain. Really? So let's say there was a company called Unicorn and they were selling Unicorn cuddlies and the only reason I pick unicorns is I'm sitting in my daughter's bedroom and I'm staring at a unicorn cuddly right now. So let's say they were called unicorn.ie Now they could be based in China, they could be based in London, they could be based anywhere in the world but you would have no idea where they're based and you, one of the pitfalls that people are experiencing of late is they buy a product, they think it's they're buying it from an Irish platform, it comes to their door and because it's come from the UK and because of Brexit they have to pay taxes and charges on that product. So that's just something to bear in mind and it's also really worth bearing in mind that whatever price you see on a on a product that's on a site based in the UK, yeah. you might have to pay more for it, depending on the nature of the product and depending on the value of the product. So it makes British websites less attractive. So one of the things that you should do is when you're shopping online, you don't just look at the website address; you look for a physical address of that company as well. Now uh-huh. that would be in the about us section or contact us section or whatever it might be, and you just want to make sure that it's an Irish. It's an Irish-based company, not for any kind of jingoistic reason, but it just means yeah. that you're more. No, you're not, I, I think a lot of people will be somewhat taken aback by that, Connor, because they yeah. would assume yeah, when no. they see .ie that you're dealing with an Irish company. Absolutely not. And it, like in the past, it didn't really matter. Like if there was a UK-based company and they had a .ie name, you know, it, it was fine because 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 Britain was in the European Union. There was this seamless trans, uh, transfer of goods from here to there and from there to here. That isn't the case anymore. Britain is now what's known as a third country. So effectively, it is outside of the European Union bubble and it's treated in exactly the same way as Australia, Mexico, China, Singapore, the United States. Which Even is why when so a parcel comes from there, you may be facing a couple of quid on top. 
And it's not just a couple of quid. I mean, sometimes it can add, you know, 30, 40, 50 quid. Like, and what happens is all the delivery companies, be it OnPost or DHL or UPS or DHD or whatever it might be, they, they will impose the taxes and the charges that are due on the product. But they will also impose a handling fee mm-hmm. for, for, looking at, for looking after the product. So that handling fee could be 12 quid. Now, according to Revenue, uh, they were saying that that could add as much as 40% onto the value of a product if it's over 100 quid or 120 quid or something like that. Now, a 40% bump is, is is not insignificant. And that's why the shopping local piece is so important and also really attractive. But you can so so that so they're, they're really important things to remember. The other thing to remember is that if something seems too good to be true, it is too good to be true. So if you if you're if you're struggling to get that must-have present, and I don't think we know yet what the presents that are going to sell out are, but if 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 you've been struggling to buy a present for somebody and suddenly you find it selling on some platform for like twenty quid and the normal price is a hundred quid, the chances of you being ripped off are extremely high. Mm. You mightn't get the product. You might get a knockoff version of the product, or you know. So lots of bad things can happen. So always be suspicious of the deal that seems too good to be true. Mm-hmm. That's very important. And and the other thing that people should be doing is, and I know it's like it's six weeks, seven weeks, I don't know. How six many weeks, Friday, Christmas, Christmas Eve. <laughs> so, like, but do, not, do it now because, as you say, the supply chain issues are going to be a, a real problem. And that's that's not just caused by Brexit. That's caused by Brexit. It's caused by COVID. Mm. It's caused by uh, that. Remember the big fer- the freight tank, uh, yeah. the shipping uh, vessel got, that got stuck in the Suez Canal? Um, it's called, but caused by all of those things. Uh, um, so if, if, if there's presents you want, and particularly when it comes to books and the like, if you see them now, buy them now. Because you don't want to be the person who's struggling to get all your presents on the 15th or 17th of December. So this year, more than any other year, it's important to shop early. Okay. We had a a listener's query, which I I think you might take a look at first. Um, She bought a hairstyler from a company in the UK, bought it through Amazon. It went on fire the first time she used it. She contacted consumer rights here in the Republic. They said it was a matter for EU consumer rights. When she contacted them, they said it wasn't an issue. What are her rights in this case? Well, this is a funny thing because, I mean, one of the things that people think, and and, and I I always hear the warning bells when I hear someone say, we contacted the consumer rights people. There is no real organisation that advocates on behalf of individuals in Ireland. So we have the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, but they don't deal with individual complaints. So I can't ring them and say, listen, I bought a dodgy hair straightener or hair dryer. What can you do for me? They don't do that. We don't have some kind of advocacy group like that. So what they will do is they will get they're more of an information group. Or then if they see a pattern emerging about a particular business, well, then they can act you know, in a global sense. So that's the, the, the reality is that the person's contract is with Amazon because they bought the product on Amazon and the third party seller who they bought the product one from. And the, the difficulty to, the, to help someone to contact the European Consumer, uh, um, the European Consumer Centre, which does actually advocate on behalf of consumers, like, and it's a really good organisation. Funnily enough, that doesn't work if you buy a product from the UK, because of course, as we all know, the UK are no longer part of the European Union. So uh, this person, first and foremost, they need to deal directly with Amazon. Now, I understand that they probably were offered a refund by um, by the company. Uh, and But the broader picture here is if the company is selling dangerous products, mm-hmm. well, then that's an issue. You know, that's 
an issue for uh, this individual. Um, so uh, you could do a little bit of research. Now, I don't know the name of the product or the, or the, or the, or the company, but we could, we could certainly find out if, if, it's a, if it's an issue that has been reported more than once. And it certainly could be something that the company would have to issue a, a product recall. Okay. But the bottom line is she has a contract with Amazon and she has a contract with a third-party seller, third seller. And they're the ones who, who will have to see, she'd have to go to, to get okay. redress. All right, Connor. listen, thank you very much for that. Connor Pope from the Irish Times on buying online in the run-up to Christmas. Step carefully is the advice. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Message about it, up, uh, overcrowding there at the CUH Emergency Department. Hi, PJ. Wondering how many people are ending up in the ED because they can't even get a call back from their GP. We're being told to go down every possible avenue outside of hospital before going there. I'm not at all well for the past week. I have COPD. I'm waiting for a call back since last week. Got a COVID test myself, booked it online. Thank God. Negative phoned South Dock last night and they did call me back but I need to talk to and get advice from my GP because of complications about my meds I'm just wondering why are people having to go to the emergency department because they can't get the help they need is that why they're going I don't think anybody wants to go to hospital unless they have to with the COVID numbers so high just thought I'd ask thanks PJ you and all the opinion I'm doing a great job I've even been left waiting for a heart medication which is certainly not good enough a lot of people saying they're taking ages to get a call back from their GP. That's not acceptable. Not at all. 1850-715-996. Busy and all as GPs might be. That's not acceptable at all. Can I, just before I go to talk to, to Swan, I want to mention a man who in about an hour from now will begin his final journey. And that is a man called Colm O'Connell, who was the former... Uh, Chief Exec Gaffer, Managing Director here at 96FM and indeed at our sister station C103. Uh, Colin passed away uh, late last week, quite suddenly. We, we were very unexpected and very sad to hear the news of his passing. Colin was a member of our radio family. Uh, he, he gave up the business uh, 20 years ago now, but he stayed in touch with quite a lot of us. And um, I was only personally in touch with him only about five or six weeks ago by text. He asked me to do a little favour from the show, which I was happy to do. And unfortunately, we never got to have the lunch that we suggested we'd have. Uh, Colin no longer with us. Um, he was a visionary. He was an incredible brain in in terms of how to drive a local radio station in its market. And what he, working with us and working with his team, achieved in terms of local radio in Cork will never be surpassed because at the time he took over to be number two in the market to the giant that was RTE at the time, that was what most people would be happy with. But Cullum said, no, not on your life. We're going for number one. We're going to get it. We're going to stay there. And he did. 
and we did and he played a massive role in in making that happen and uh, we were sad to hear of his passing uh, at the weekend and my thoughts particularly with Peg with Wesley with Brian and with Una and uh, he was an old old boss and an old old friend and may he rest in peace Colm O'Connell 1850-715-996 now I saw this at the weekend and I didn't realise that this young man was struggling uh, Sean Downey or Swan the rapper hey Sean good morning to you What's the story, PJ? How are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. I didn't realise you were struggling, lad. What happened to you? Uh, so, I guess to kind of start this, first of all, you can call me Sean. Swan is just a bit of a, a bit of an online name. Yeah. But I guess, I suppose, when I, so, when I turned 18, I started drinking, just kind of like everyone starts drinking, and it became just a bit of a routine, I guess, and it was just that routine that I had every weekend that slowly kind of trickled into being every day. Mm. Um, and, and from 18 to 20, it, it didn't really seem like a problem to me. It was just kind of going out and having fun. Um, and then last year, I started filming for a show called Davy's Toughest Team on RTE, yeah. which I, your viewers might be aware of. And on that show, I was talking about my, my struggle with ADHD, where a lot of the other members of the show would have talked about drug and, and drink issues they had. And I guess when filming that show, I still didn't really see it as a problem. And then it was only during watching the show when it came out in March and I, I kind of really analysed my life. I realised I was drinking like two to three bottles of wine a day, every day. Crikey. And when I really thought about it and tried to stop it, just I, I couldn't, you know, mm. like last last November, December, even January, it was just kind of like... It was just this crutch that I lent on on every day, yeah. and I guess the the problem with it was that I, I was able to do it so well that it was I was I was functioning normally, you know. Yeah. And so that's that's how it really became an issue. Did did, did lockdown make it worse, Sean? I think that's what it was. I think I think it, I think if we didn't go into lockdown, it probably wouldn't have became an issue. But it was just that there was, there was literally nothing to do. There was I, I was I was in student accommodation and I was in a house uh, built for eight people and at the start of the pandemic I was there was only two of us there so the feeling of of loneliness was I guess exaggerated and you know it just it, it kind of just turned to drink like I guess everyone else did yeah um a lot of adults did you know you will hear a lot of stories of people saying that they definitely drank a lot more to start the lockdown so yeah. I guess yeah it just it just started becoming a bit of an issue then. And what was the point at which you kind of decided, hang on a second now, I, I, I need to I need to do something here? Was was there a particular moment that you just said, uh uh-uh. uh? It was so after after watching uh, after watching David Stuff's team yeah. played on on RTE, I actually started um a program with one of Davy Fitzgerald's personal trainers. His name's Darren Ward. And right. we got up every morning at seven forty five AM and I did a workout on Instagram Live and I did that for a month. And I, I felt so good every morning because of it. But then in the evening time, I would just reverse it all by going drinking. And it was holding on to that feeling I got every morning, that like happy feeling when I was, you know, it was an absolute pain doing the exercises every morning. I didn't want to be getting up at seven. But when I was done them, I felt so good yeah. that 
I kept that in my head. And, you know, I guess two or three weeks later, one one day I was just drinking with my friends and I, I it literally was just like a light came on. I remember like with bottle in my hands, just looking around and being like, OK, I'm done. And so I text all of my friends, told everyone in my circle that night was like, look, I'm drunk now. I don't want to drink anymore. When I wake up tomorrow, I need everyone's help in just making sure that this is a thing that stays. And yeah, it's, we're on... That took guts, young man. That took a lot of now. guts. 250 what? 250... Oh, no, sorry. 255 days now. Well done. Two, I hit 250 last week, and I, I'm not that good at keeping track of it, really. Well, listen, but 250... I know, I know it was 250 last week. But I that, took, that, that took that massive that guts, lad, to, to do that one night. Yeah, I guess I just, you know, I realised with, with the show, when the show finished, I was getting opportunities to, to, to I guess, kind of really get into creative projects that I enjoyed. And I, I realised that, you know, as I was enjoying doing those creative projects, there was always that thing in the back of my head that was bringing me down. And it was the feeling I had once I finished drinking, you know, because while drinking in the moment made me happy, it was the paranoia and the anxiety and, and just everything that kind of came as a result of it. Yeah. You know. Was it hard at the start? Yeah, it was. I, I think what was the most difficult thing was just not having that routine, you know. So I, I would have grown up in foster care. And mm. when I, 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 I went into residential at the age of 10, I came out of residential at 12 and moved to a, a foster family. But I, I guess what was instilled in, in my mind from that residential at the age of, of 10 to 12 was this like sense of loneliness and when I stopped drinking, I felt that that came back because I didn't have that routine. I wasn't going out with people drinking. We were in the middle of a lockdown, which, again, exaggerated the loneliness. And I didn't have like that crutch to fall on. So it was difficult for like the first month, kind of month and a half. Then I just then I just decided to get really, really busy. And I just kind of built a really solid routine for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's just been, it's been up from there. And what did you do? Did you just, like, did you finish what you had and not buy any more? Did you pour stuff down the sink? No, did you I, do? I, I, just, I just poured the, so I had a 70cl of pink gin. And I was like one quarter of the way through and I just poured it out. I was just like, because if I finished it, that was, that was still pushing off quitting. You know, I had to, the moment I had the thought it had to happen then. Or it wasn't happening. Right. Like the the moment I had the thought, if I finished that bottle, I would have continued to get drunk, and my thoughts would have changed. So it just had to be there and then in that moment. Right. Looking back now, two hundred and fifty five days later, best decision. Best decision I've ever made. I've I, I'm now living the life that I dreamt of living at like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. I'm surrounded by the people that I looked up to, that I that I viewed as creative people, and and people that kind of influenced me and I inspired to be like and you know I, I, I genuinely was probably the best decision I've ever made yeah do you now class yourself as a non-drinker is drink gone yeah it's I I don't I don't really class myself as anything I'm just kind of someone who doesn't drink yeah do you know yeah it's like I don't really have a, a word for it like I, I don't mind being around I still go out to the to pub with my friends yeah. like I, I, I enjoy being out I just it's it kind of no one past the stage where it's something I think of. Yeah. It's just kind of like, it doesn't phase you, me anymore. You know, you're incredibly lucky, Sean, and I tell you why. I, I have a, well, I had a colleague many, many years ago uh, who I noticed didn't drink. And I mm-hmm. said, I said, yes, I said, that's unusual in this business. 
And he said, well, I used to. But he said, I stopped. I took control before it did. And that's what you've done. You took control yeah, before I, it I feel did. Like, I feel like it was getting to a stage where I was... It it was what I noticed is it it had gone from one bottle of wine to two bottles of wine, and then it was going from two bottles of wine to three bottles of wine, and I was just like, okay, this is starting to to get out of hand, um, and so yeah, it was literally just a matter of taking control of it before it was too late. Yeah. You know, I I have have had people in my family who've dealt with addiction and and have gotten sober and so I guess it's something that that runs in my family also I'm very mindful of the fact that I grew up in foster care and you hear a lot of negative stories about foster kids and I wanted to kind of change that perspective in the public and so this is one of the steps needed to do that. Well, I think you should be very, very proud of yourself. Very, very proud of yourself indeed. I watched the little video that you did with Gary, uh, the UN. That's brilliant. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, about like five or six months ago, the the FAO, the Food and Agricultural Food and Agricultural Organization, their specialised agency of the United Nations, contacted Gary GMC Beats to make a song. Basically, they wanted to get kids in six different countries, six different languages, the six official languages of the UN, to make a song about food heroes. And a food hero is just someone who's who's very mindful of the food they're eating, is not wasteful, is interested in sustainable growth. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, for like the last five months, um, I've been co-directing and I've been producing uh, a music video shot in six different countries um, and edited here in, in Cork, shot uh, in UCC in Fitzgerald's Park with Glasheen okay. Boys and Girls School. Yeah, I watched it. And Sean, I watch, for this old job, I watch 100 videos a week. And I just, normally you just flick through them and you say, that's right, you get that. I, I watched it, I watched it again, and I thought, that is wonderful, wonderful work. And so thank well done. So well done to you. And I know Gary's been good to you. Now, Gary's a legend anyway, but Gary's been good to you through all this. Gary, yeah, so I, I would have actually met Gary, ten, it's 10 years next year, so I would have met Gary in probably my worst time as a child when I would have been in residential in Tralee. And it's I had a workshop. We had four workshops uh, took place every week. And the thing that will stick in my head is at the last workshop I had with Gary, when we were finished up, we finished at like 6 p.m. I went to him, look, I wrote these two songs. And he stayed there with me for another hour and a half and recorded those songs with me when the workshop was over. And this was where he was two and a half hours drive away from home. And I guess that just stuck in my head yeah. as a, you know, as a 12 year old who, felt like people weren't really there for him. It was just this person who decided to give up his own time to help me bring my creative ideas to life. Yeah. Then when I got sober, Gary asked me if I'd help him out doing assistant work with his job, with emails, and it's just kind of snowballed from there to now where, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't imagine my daily life without yeah. kind of being involved in the work that Gary does and, and the cabin does. The listeners don't need to know why, but you and I spoke a number of years ago, and, I, and I'll say this to you, Sean. Mm-hmm. You are a transformation from that frightened, self-conscious young man that I spoke to. It, yeah, it's you remember incredible that? Incredible to that listen call? to you. I do. It's incredible to listen to you now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been. Do you know? I've just been working hard. I guess. You know, like I said, there's a lot of negative stories you hear of, of kids in care and and that have left care and. It's it's because, you know, the, the media sometimes just likes to run with the bad stories. And so, you know, I can't change 
I can't go straight into the media and go, we're going to talk about all the positive stories. But if I can just be a positive story and work to share that, then hopefully I can just inspire other kids in, in residential and foster care that it just, you know, that maybe feel lost or lonely. You know, it's, it's, it's never really too late to change. You know, I was 12, things were going bad for me. I was 16, things were going bad for me. I was 22, things were going, or 21, things were going bad for me. And, and in each of those stages, it just kind of took me to go, no, I need to change. And if you're really open to changing situations around you, you know, people people are there to listen and people are there to help and, and I guess to kind of give you the support you need. Do you know, there's probably a young person... Uh, listening to us now, Sean, or will hear this on podcast or repeat or wherever they'll hear it. And they're in a tough place. They're maybe in the place you were 255 days ago where they know they need to do something, but they can't make that first move. Any advice? Yeah, so I guess what worked for me was was, um, counselling. So I, I go to MTU and I'm lucky that there's free counselling services available. So I, I guess my message would be if you're in school to reach out to your guidance counsellor, if you're in college to reach out to your, your counsellors, you know, colleges are, are quite lucky that they usually have a guidance counsellor or someone like that there. I guess just reach out to friends as well, you know. I'm I'm kind of lucky that I had Gary, I have my family, I have people around me that I can reach out to and say, hey... You know, you, you don't have to try and, and change things on your own. People are there to, to support you. Mm. So it's, it's literally what I'd say is just reach out. You know, I thought about changing for so long, but I didn't say it to anybody. And it was just the moment I said it to somebody, things started to happen. All right. Listen, good on you, fella. Congratulations and keep up the good work. Thank you, PJ. Great to speak to you. That's Sean Downey Swan, the rapper, on the opinion line. I did speak to him a number of years ago, and he was close to a broken young man at the time. It doesn't need to need to know what it was about, but he he yeah, and uh, he's just a remarkable guy. That's that's a and that's that interview makes me very happy. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Hi. Morning. Oh, what's wrong, Joanne? What's wrong? She's a bit shaky. Shaking. I said I tried to roll a cigarette and I'm shaking so much. And how many times has pop singer Madonna been married? Uh, Sean Penn and the other lad. Two. She was married to Sean Penn and Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Which means she was married twice and you've just won 2,000 Oh my God, you can roll a fag with a 50 euro note now. That is absolutely incredible. <laughs> Another winner, there you go. go, go. The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. With Phones, your Irish SIM-free specialist for 12 years. Any SIM, any network, any country. Phones.ie. Casey and Ross in the morning. Courts, 96 FM. Now, earlier on this morning, I was chatting to a minister for higher education, Simon Harris about the flag raising at MTU and a number of other issues to do with um, with college. And I mentioned the fact that so many people are still studying off campus because they can't get on campus because of COVID restrictions and all of that. And he seemed 
he seemed not to be aware of just how many people are still studying off campus. If I picked him up wrong, I know his people will tell me. But it prompted a call. We have your name. You'd rather not give it on air. That's fine. You are in, is it second year? Good morning. Um, hi, PJ. Um, I'm in my fourth year. Okay. Okay. Yeah, my final year. And when was the last time you were on campus? Um, the last time I was on campus was in my second year. I was March 2020, just before the first lockdown. Right. And when you were listening to the minister this morning, what was going through your mind? Um, I was just frustrated by the fact that he appeared to be unaware of how many people. Like, I know it's not just my course alone. Like, I know there's so many other people that have not been back on campus yet for any class. He said he's going to be talking to the colleges and talking to the students' unions today's up to, to, today about it. Yeah. What do you think he needs to do? Um, he needs to become more aware of the struggles that we have from remote learning. Like, it's like you might have a day where your internet is down and then that's your whole day that's gone from lectures online. Um, you mightn't have the facilities at home. Like... Um, Personally, I share a laptop with my sister, so if she needs it, I could be in trouble that that day. And assignments, just stuff like that when it comes to deadlines. Um, really, he just needs to be more aware. I know there's nothing at the moment that can be done, but just to be more aware that not all students are back on campus, yes. And the fact that you are paying full fees. Yeah, that's it. Like, I know that my parents bill for electricity has soared since online uh, teaching has begun. Because you've got to stay warm and you've got to keep the lights on. Yeah. 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 And and the fees are... If the fees still have to be paid in full. All right, Liz, I wish you I wish you good luck in your final year. I hope you do get back on campus before the end of it. And good luck with whatever you do in the future. We have that caller's name. She'd prefer not to use it on air. And that is... And that is fine. Thank you for that. We have another message. I've, I've just emailed Minister Harris. My daughter is in second year at MTU. The only time she's been on campus was Friday afternoons from September to December 2020. She's currently on placement, but has been told that come January, they'll not be on campus, but that her learning will continue online. Okay, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. A lot of talk over the weekend about Storm Wanda. Now, I, I'm not up to speed with the uh, tracking of Storm Wanda, but maybe Eddie English from Sale Cork can help us with that. Hi, Eddie. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Is she one we should watch? Um. Well, it's been unusual this year in that the. Atlantic has been quite warm, so therefore there have been a number of tropical storms uh, more than usual. And in fact, Wanda is the last on the list, so they'll have to invent new names Mm -hmm. because hurricane season isn't over yet. It carries on through until the end of this month. But um, it's looking like that... um, the Atlantic air will continue to come towards us. You might notice that it's extremely mild today. Very much so, um, yeah. Yeah, like the normal temperature for this time of year is 9 or 10 degrees. And in Cork, it's 15 degrees in places. It's 16 degrees in Shannon this morning. So it's the heat that drives these guys. Um, <clears throat> but I think that it's 
quite likely that this will have dissipated completely uh, by the time it gets to us. We're going to see some rain overnight tonight mm. and maybe the winds get a bit stronger. But in fact, it's uh, a bit of a damp squib, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, another guy that I monitor... Um a lot is Alan O'Reilly at Carla Weather who's brilliant with these predictions and he was saying pretty much the same as the only reference to Wanda I'd seen he, he's confident enough that she'll she'll fizzle out before she before she gets here because if, if she did get here she, she'd do fierce damage altogether is this climate change in action Eddie? Well possibly yeah uh, things are warmer certainly you know and all the models that I ran this morning we're showing that, that we're sucking up uh, warm moist air from the Atlantic but thank goodness uh, it's not going to affect us tonight. Thursday night we might see a bit of breeze alright going into Friday and some rain with that uh, but you know things have been <laughs> relatively calm so to speak mm. um, th- this autumn we've had an amazing autumn um, we've been out powerboating every weekend out yachting most weekends you know, we're still afloat normally this time of the year. We're working on our shore-based navigation courses, which all went online. Um, so we're watching the weather very, very carefully. You mm-hmm. know, I'd spend the guts of uh, half an hour looking at the various sources of weather information in the morning before we give our forecast on mm-hmm. Facebook in the morning. Yeah, And... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I suppose the answer is we are seeing uh, the the warming taking effect, but it hasn't uh, it hasn't been detrimental to us at the moment. Other than that, you know, if you don't like warm air, and yeah. it has been warm, you yeah. know, and it's 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 mild right through the weekend, and talking about ten degrees next week. It was know. unseasonably mild, for example, last night. I, I woke up during the night, and it was just so warm, like. It, it got very warm last night and, the, you know, the, the warm, moist air coming in from the Atlantic, that cooled and formed fog in the harbour last night. Um, so that's another sort of meteorological danger that mariners certainly have to think about. But it was, the, the fog had dissipated by this morning. Now, the postman in Donegal is predicting that we'll get snow at the height of winter this year. I, I, I'm not too sure if you make any predictions like that yourself. I'd go as far as maybe next Friday, <laughs> but that's about it, PJ. It's yeah. it's very unrealistic to, you know, when we have high pressure sitting on top of the country uh, in the middle of the summer, you, you could make a pr- prediction maybe a week ahead, maybe 10 days ahead even. Mm. But at this time of the year, it's changing too quick. The Atlantic systems are rolling in from the Atlantic and our weather comes across the Atlantic. It hits Kerry up to Dublin, across yeah. to northern England and yeah. over to Scandinavia. We know that's the past, but, the, you know, the speed the systems move at, yes. we're, not, we're, not, we're not sure. It's, certain it's certain very... things need to fall into place for us to get snow in this country. And in the wintertime, they pass each other so quickly. They rarely all fall into place at once. And that's pretty much what you're looking at. Yeah, that's correct. You know, in the UK, they're far more likely to have snow because you have moist air coming in from the North Sea with an easterly wind coming from a very, very cold northern Europe. And once that moist air um, hits the Pennines in England, Mm. they get snow. Uh, So you'll see snow in the UK an awful lot more than you will here. The warm, moist air. You know, we have a damp climate, but it has its advantages at time. Times, you know, mm. snow might be pretty, but it makes 
makes things it rather makes difficult. It makes life difficult. Although, I, I, to be honest with you, I do prefer that 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 crisp cold weather to the damp cold rain. I must say, I have to say. Yeah, I have to well, say. We're lucky. We haven't we haven't had much rain. Yeah, you know, it's it's been moist, but it hasn't been raining at least. Thank goodness, mm-hmm. you know. True. All right, Eddie. Good to catch up with you again. That's Eddie English from Sale Cork, and he does that uh, weather forecast every morning. Um, Pretty much just after first light, he goes out for a walk with his dog and he does the weather forecast and he's very, very, very accurate. Thank you, Eddie. 1850 715996. John in Cove says, I've been following this. It'll pass Ireland well west on Wednesday, but we'll bring a lot of warm air. I don't think there'll be major rain with it. I'm also a fan of magic seaweed. Oh, yeah, I haven't mentioned magic seaweed in a while. Um, big fan of Dark Sky. That's my go-to. Y-R-N-O, I like. Uh, not as, I wouldn't love it as much as I love Dark Sky, but there's another great one. And I warn you before you download it, it's a big, ugly, clunky lump of an app. But by God, in terms of storms, it's the best there is. And that's Magic Seaweed, MSW. It's a very clunky thing to use, but you have to go through several layers and then you'll get a picture of Ireland and the UK and you can see what storms are coming. And I first came across Magic Seaweed. Thanks for reminding me, John. I first came across Magic Seaweed about two and a half weeks before Ophelia. A buddy of mine who happened to have a friend in the Navy said, here's an app that they use. And Stormophilia, which we know the devastation it caused, Magic Seaweed had Stormophilia coming for Ireland eight or nine days out. It's that accurate. So, yeah, Magic Seaweed. Big, dirty, horrible, heavy, clunky app, but brilliantly accurate. 1850-715-996. Going back to Uncashlawn in uh, Ballincollig, we had Phil and Sue outlining the problems that the residents have down there and uh, Sue mentioned that one of the councillors dealing with it is Sinn Féin councillor Olin Ring. I've also been speaking to Olin and we'll hear that next. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Courts 96FM So, Councillor Olin Ring, you're one of the uh, public reps looking into this for Sue and the residents. It seems to be riddled with red tape trying to get something like this done. Yeah, PJ, I suppose, look, I'm new to some of this stuff, so I'm learning as it goes, but basically it appears that there's a, a process that's involved look, traffic calming is something that's requ- that's required all over the city if you like this is a particular area, area of concern for me so I put down a motion and the, the process really is you put down a motion um, and then it would be included on a list uh, which councillors would then the, the subsequent year select from uh, and decide which they want to prioritise and I suppose that that's, then you've got budgetary considerations to take into, into consideration so it can be slow and it can be frustrating, but um, from from my point of view here, this this uh, particular issue deserves prioritisation. So, getting it on this list is the first priority, and where are we with that? So, my understanding is it's on the list now. I, I put down the motion about a fortnight ago, and I'd be anticipating the 22nd of November to have a report back from City Council on that for, in time for the local area committee meeting of the South West Ward. 
and my understanding is that that will then put it on or it's on the list at this point um, and that we'll have get maybe some additional uh, information from the City Council about this particular um, estate and what they see as viable. Yeah. And then um, what I called for basically was that they would investigate what kind of traffic calming would be effective um, and then obviously that will inform then how much it's going to cost and we can look at that then early in, in the new year. Yeah. And I'd be just, I'd be, I think that this particular one really deserves to be to be looked at because of the urgency of, of the issue and, and the problem and the anxieties the residents face. I know that you, you say you're new to the job, and indeed you are, but you took over from one of the most experienced members of council, uh, Henry Kremen. Why is it, do you think, Oren, these things take so long to make decisions? Yeah, I, I, was, I suppose I've got big shoes to fill in, in Henry Kremen, you know. Um, no, look, I suppose it's one of these things... Um, between budgetary considerations and between, I suppose, all of the the, the different um, things that stages that things need to go through, it can be frustrating. Mm. Um, I mean, I think that the the main origin of this particular problem really originates with the junction, and that's been ongoing for yeah. years. Um, and, and the it, fact that place is used as a rat run as well—that's a problem. Yeah, and and it's it's mainly I think it's mainly the junction and and the underdevelopment of the road that causes that situation and. That's been an issue. I, I was speaking to an engineer recently. That's been an issue for a number of years. That's unfortunately going to involve land ownership transfer. And uh, this is something that's slowing it down. So it means that, unfortunately, this problem won't be solved today or tomorrow. Mm. But in the short term, what we can do is prioritise traffic calming. And I know the residents are also looking for a 30 kilometre an hour zone, which is something that I think would really benefit this estate. And I think it's common mm. sense that that should be applied. And what's, the, what's the procedure for getting that done? So, similar enough to the traffic calming, there's a list for prioritisation on that. Again, on Cashlon has been added to that due to the, I suppose, the representations I've made and other councillors in the last month. Um, and then there, uh, they select again each year, sit down with regard to budgetary concerns, sit down and select uh, from a list. Now, this is a kind of a thing that I think common sense should dictate really that most of the states, most of the states in, in the city should really have a 30 kilometer an hour um, mm. speed zone, I think, anyway, for, yeah. for public safety. Okay. It's something that, that's definitely required here, anyway. Okay, so we'll see where this goes. November 22nd is the next key date to get it on this list for action, and then it just, I guess we just have to wait? Yeah, absolutely, just to wait and see, and I'll keep you informed, PJ, and uh, many thanks uh, as well for covering the issue. That's uh, Councillor Olden Ring. I... I, I honestly couldn't ever enter politics. Not that I'd be elected to anything. I wouldn't get myself onto a residence association, but the red tape and the BS that you need to deal with to get something done. I don't know how anybody does it, to be quite frank with you. On Swan, uh, aka Sean, just as a Cork mum, I want to say fair play to that lad. It's great to hear stories like that. Paul says, hats off to that great young man, PJ. Keep up the great work. I had to give up the drink 17 years ago. Never looked back. A great story and well done. And we're getting more and more of these messages ever since I had Simon Harris, Minister Harris, on the phone this morning talking about the situation with people still studying online when colleges are supposed to be open again. We've had more than one. In fact, we've had at least a half a dozen different complaints. Just in regard to Minister Simon Harris, I thought I'd reach out. I'm a third-year student. I'm on campus one day a week studying engineering. 
with huge issues this year and last with lecturers refusing to record their lectures. With internet in remote areas being poor and the fact the response to us asking for it to be recorded was if it was in person and he didn't turn up, he wouldn't be able to watch it. Obviously in person is completely different not being able to access it through the internet. We're expected to come on campus for exams, which is a joke, when we're expected to do lectures online. To be honest, it's a shambles at the moment, PJ, with online learning. I honestly think anyone anyone who's doing a lecture online that's refusing to record it, uh, they need to have a stern talking to. Who do you think you are? Just record the blasted thing and make it available. Because sometimes if a person's working from home or studying at home, they may not have access at the same time you're doing... Just record it. Get your head out of your backside and record the damn thing. Whoever you are. Hello, says a caller. Am I the only one complaining about the local property tax website not working? Yesterday was the deadline. For the last week, it's been telling me it's temporarily out of order, so I haven't been able to fill out the form. I've emailed revenue, but no reply. Has anyone else experienced it? I, I did my property tax last week. It doesn't take very long when you have a thing like a government.ie ID and all that kind of carry on, or gov, my gov thing. But they did extend the deadline. They extended it for about another eight or nine days um, because there was loads of people apparently confused. I'd say just keep trying. But if the website is down, maybe they should get it back going again. Thanks for that. 1850 I spoke with Gillian Powell earlier in the year when she brought out her summer and autumn books for children. And her winter one, is it out now or is it coming out, Gillian? Good morning. It's out, it's out now. It's available now in local bookstores and on buythebook.ie. Good for which you. Which is a marvellous uh, website for Irish authors. And you can go on there and just click the button. So it's available now. How, how are you getting on with the winter? When we spoke last, you were saying you're it. not a fan of the winter. Well, it's not here yet, thankfully. We're still dragging the, the, the backside out of autumn uh, for another couple of weeks. But I, I dread it. I dread it. I hate it. You've got to you've got to keep on microdosing on those moments of awe every day. And of course, in winter, you need to be a little better prepared. So it's all about families and children getting the pull-ups and Aldi and Lidl and all of the multiple stores now have them available at very, yeah. very good prices. The padded ones are great for the little ones because if they get a little fall, mm. you know, it's not, uh, you know, they can really cope and they're warm and dry. Yeah, and, You're, you're going you know, to use they, the phrase that, that gives me ire and that is this thing, there's no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothing. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, that's why in this book I try to do, you know, a balance. It's all yeah. about a balance. Yeah. And but but at the same time, you know, I know lots of mums out there are, you know, if you're stuck in the indoors for a couple of days with kids, that is not you need to break down those walls or the children are yeah. going to. And it does help to get them out and a does little it. bit of wet. I think we, you know, we kind of uh, have come from this thing. If you're out and you're cold and it's wet, that it's going to harm you. Yes. What we've learned from COVID and other things, it's not. Well, that's it's true too. That you is, you know, I think what it is with, 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 with young parents, Gillian, I'm sure you know this stuff. It's not so much the going out and enjoying themselves. It's when they bring in the muck and the dirt and the leaves. 
and the grime and the trailing across the kitchen tiles. <laughs> yeah, you've got you've got to make those. You've got to turn those into resources, you know, and you've got to turn those into something now that's going to make lovely Christmas cards and Christmas decorations because there's loads of ideas for that. Yeah. Right. And there you go. What, what have you got? You, you're looking at making making decorations from the stuff around us. Exactly. We're talking about now, for example, there's a fabulous uh, tree that is made just with sticks and wire. And it's a great thing if you've got a child, we'll say, that's struggling with maths at school and doesn't like it. This is a way to get that in. You pick a, a, a range, we'll say about 10 uh, long sticks and short sticks, and you can measure them with a measuring tape. And every single boy I ever did this with loved that aspect of measuring, got really into the maths of that. Girls too, um, but the lads love the measuring tape. They've seen their dads do it and they love that. Yeah. So, uh, and then just a little bit of garden wire and put that up and you can put some decorations. So there you've got a maths lesson. You're kind of bringing all of that fun into their lives that makes makes all you know maths more imaginable and doable and practical and it's play and it's fun so it's about turning those kind of opportunities into learning opportunities you're playing and learning with a child and there's something produced at the end of it you can put hang your little pine cones decorate a pine cones there is a bit of mess but yeah. you know um, we don't want houses that everything is perfect by no, the No, no. We, we had an old, when I was very small, there was a, an old lady who used to mind me from my parents and she always used to say, just let him mess away, it's clean dirt. Exactly, exactly. So, and and I know that everybody has memories in the summertime of being outdoors with their parents, but I think people have wintertime memories as well. And they're about when you come in afterwards, okay, there's the mess, but there's also the hot chocolate and there's also the story time. And I've included lovely ideas for stories that you can read that, for example, Stickman, uh, staying with the theme of sticks mm -hmm. and different things you can do with that. But I, I think it's just to encourage that connection with nature. You know, even again, if you don't have a big garden, you can look at the sky. The sky at night is wonderful, mm -hmm. uh, wonderful resource. You know, the moon, the shape of the moon. And actually, there's a lovely little activity with Oreo biscuits that you can sh show the different shapes of the moon. And all of this is tracking children in. You were talking about the weather earlier, but that type of observational skills in the world is very important. You know, we're losing it to a sense. We're getting into screens and all of that. But that observational skills, that that information you're taking in all around you into all of your senses, that develops the brain of young children. It develops their resources. But even more than that, it develops their sense of themselves and the world and their emotions. And I think that's the one we're all looking for. But for me personally, when the children are, were crawling the walls, I just had to get out. And when I got out, it, it was always better. It is a bit of effort. You do have to work harder in winter, but the beauty is even rarer. Mm. And, you know, you, you'll spot the robins. That's another thing I've alluded to in the book, all about the birds that are around us. Mm. And, you know, there's all sorts of ideas to make little bird feeders. And again, that's tracking children in to observe the natural world around them. We're talking sure. about in the environment and cop. Um, and all of that. But if we don't learn to love it at a young age, we're not going to care for it. It's not going to mean anything yeah, to us. Truth, and I think yeah. that's that's the big thing. But okay. but even, I, I mean, I'm not, 
you know, in that way, an eco warrior, I'm a warrior for happy families and I'm a warrior for parents realizing that there's all sorts of play and learning opportunities, both of equal importance, the play and the learning outdoors in nature. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You do need a little bit of knowledge and you do need a little bit of direction. And that's where the book comes in. You know, it's well worth the investment for your child's early life. Okay, and the book is called Thrive, and it's the latest in a series. Gillian Powell, thank you very much for that. And that is it. Monday is off our backs. Uh, The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. we see you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.